Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Thrilled that uh, our speaker this morning needs no introduction. Jill Weber uh, heads up everything to do with prayer and spiritual formation in this church. Uh, she is much loved. She's a brilliant communicator. And this is the third part in our series, Crossroads, exploring the relevance, the challenge, and the hope of the cross of Jesus Christ as we approach Easter. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Good to be here with you and uh, in this space. It's nice to be here without masks, actually. I could see your faces. It's exciting. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the cross. It's been a rich banquet already today in song. And, uh, and Clive, thank you for that. A beautiful reflection on the cross for us. And we want to talk about, we've talked about the cross as um, the means of our redemption, the way that God saved us from ourselves, from our sin, invited us into family. We want to talk also about the cross as the way that Jesus invites us to follow him, the lifestyle that he's inviting us into. And theologians call that the cruciform life, the cross-shaped life. And if any of you have ever been in a cathedral or seen maps of cathedrals and and I've seen them from the top down, you'll see that cathedrals are made in the shape of a cross. And they were made deliberately for folks who were not literate because they wanted the architecture to speak and the architecture of the cathedrals to say, our church, our place of worship is a cross-shaped church. We are a cross-shaped community. And so the invitation for us over this series as we're reflecting on the cross in the next few weeks, moving towards Easter. So how can we be a cross-shaped church? How can we embrace the cruciform life? How can we practice the way of Jesus as he laid down his life for us out of love and for the joy set before him? Mankind, womankind, redeemed and everything on heaven and earth made new. This is the invitation. We're going to talk a little bit today about the way of generosity. What does a cross-shaped life look like? What does a cruciform life look like as it pertains to our giving of ourselves, our time, of our resources? And I'm going to start just by looking at Jesus just for a moment. We know that Jesus, for him, the way of generosity, he was obedient to his father, he was sacrificial, and he gave himself away for the sake of others. Just a few scriptures, Philippians 2, 6 to 7, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Matter, he made himself nothing, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Jesus laid aside his privilege. Jesus laid aside his privilege so that he could give himself away for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his, his poverty that we might become 
rich. He had access to all the resources of heaven and earth, and he emptied himself for us, made himself poor so that we could step into the abundant life that we get to walk into. I think about Jesus and his lifestyle and how he demonstrated not only in his death but in his life this generosity of heart. He lived simply. Jesus lived simply. Matthew 8, 20, he replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He knew his mission. He knew what the Father was inviting him to do in terms of how he lived his life and how he died his death. He chose simplicity so that he could focus on his mission in the world and not get distracted by all kinds of other things. Jesus has a lot to say about relationship with money. 11 of the 40 parables in the Gospels make reference to finance, to money. And it kind of boils down to this thing of, where is my treasure? Where is my, what is precious to me? We're very familiar with the story of the rich young ruler Good teacher, tell me, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And he gives a list of all the things that we are doing. Jesus sees right through him into his point where the things that he's attached to, where his treasure is. And his treasure might be different than whatever your treasure is, but Jesus saw and Jesus invited and said, all right, well, do you want eternal life? You want to follow me? Then liquidate your assets. Liquidate your assets. Get rid of what you've got. Come and follow me. And it was like, ouch. (laughs) You know, there was that moment of the rich young ruler of like, oh, no, no, Lord, anything but that. You know, he got him in his point of pain, and he wasn't able to respond to that invitation of Jesus. What is that treasure? What's your treasure? What's mine? I was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing an experiment with my daughter this year. We're having a fun time um, just doing some spiritual practices together. She lives back in Canada, and, and, uh, but we thought, well, well, we'll give this a go together. We both love clothing, and we love charity shop clothing. Anybody, any charity shopper people here? Yes, we do love a good charity shop, and I love the charity shops in the UK, especially posh places like Furnham and Guilford. There's so many nice things in the shops at a fraction of the price. <laughs> do love a good charity shop, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that when I move from Canada to the UK, I'm not even going to tell you what the percentage of the suitcases that came with us were just my clothing. <laughs> I was very fond of clothing. It was this point of pain. Where is my treasure? It's in my wardrobe. Oh, no. And so our experiment, my daughter's in my experiment this year, and you can ask me anytime this year how I'm doing. I'm giving you permission. Here's our experiment. Can we go for a year without buying any clothes? <laughs> you know, you know, if something breaks or wears out completely, we're allowed to replace that. We decided that. That was the, the one, you know. But, but other than that, can I go for a whole year without buying any clothing? And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I've already slipped up once. I saw this beautiful sweater, you know, in the, in the window. And when it, anyway, so I called my daughter, and I'm like, my God, the sweater, <laughs> the jumper. But I'm back on the wagon, giving it a go. <laughs> Where is your treasure. 
It was interesting doing that experiment because what I discovered about myself is I'm addicted to acquisition. I love the hunt. I love rifling through all the clothes on the, you know, the clothes thing and like, oh, this one is amazing. It's unique. There's nothing like it. There's my treasure. I love that. And I love getting the deal. There's my treasure. I like getting the deal. And I discovered also that I really loved, what I, what I didn't realize about myself was that I was using shopping for relaxation and shopping for recreation. I didn't actually need it, but I wanted it. I wanted it. Where is your treasure? You guys are amazing. Did you know you're amazing? Turn to the person beside you and say, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> you're amazing for lots of reasons. <laughs> One of the things you're amazing at is giving. You guys are a generous church. You were such a generous congregation. Last year alone, between, between Emmaus, Guilford, and Aldershot, and Woking, you together generously gave 400,000 pounds towards social transformation and mission. That's amazing. That is amazing. Do you know, though, in the UK, average giving in the UK, recent statistics, so the average British person gives away 2% of their income, just under 2%. And so I'm, I'm not going to do a, a big full-on teaching about tithing today. We know the invitation in the scripture is for us to consider giving God 10% of our income. So just think about it. Think of all we've been able to do in the lighthouse and in, with our mission partners overseas and, and trying to make a measurable difference in the lives of the poor around us. If that 2% is indicative of our giving, imagine what we could do with 10%. Imagine, could you imagine the church planting that we could do? Could you imagine the new communities that we could move into? Could you imagine what we could do for Ukrainian refugees? Could you imagine a lighthouse in Guilford and in Aldershot? Could you imagine? Could you imagine an invitation to generosity? I just want to take a couple of minutes to, to look at some of Paul's teaching around giving. In the context of this, I'll be, I'll be looking at some passages in 1 Corinthians 16 uh, and then 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 8 and 9. It'll come up on the screen so you don't have to sort of rifle around. But I'm just going to skip the stones across some of Paul's thoughts around giving. The context is this. When Paul was commissioned by the Jerusalem church to plant churches around in the, in the Gentile lands, so the Jerusalem church said to him, do not forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. And so what Paul then did is a certain point in his ministry, he in all of the churches, and it says it was in Macedonia and um, Galatia and Asia and, and Achaia, he, he, he took an offering in all of those communities to bring back to the poor in Jerusalem, to bring back to the place where God's people were suffering. So that's the context for these Passages And here's a few things that Paul taught the Corinthian church about giving. So number one, he taught them to give intentionally. 
1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 2. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. I love it how he's like, hey guys, you know the church down the road? Watch what they're doing. <laughs> do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Oh, wouldn't it be fun if you guys like got slightly friendly competitive with all the other um, satellite churches? I mean, percentage-wise, there's more people than you than in Aldershot and Woking. But wouldn't it be fun to have a, a friendly competition to see who could be like more generous? That would be fun. Anyway, I'll leave that with you to think about. But <laughs> number one, um, he says this, do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So this is it. They gave intentionally. They say in 12-step programs that failing to plan is planning to fail. Failing to plan and planning to fail. And I think for, for me, certainly, if I don't have a plan for how I'm going to use my finances for the money that comes in, I can very easily be in a position where I have more month than money. Anybody like me? Because it could just kind of trickle through your fingers, a little bit here, a little bit there, and it's all gone. And so what would happen? What can happen if I give intentionally to wherever God invites me to give? And this is where I love that the church does standing orders, right? So I just know that you can set it up. So, you know, the day after I know that my paycheck's coming in, we get, I, I give the way that God has invited me to give, and then I've purposed in my heart to give, and I do it with intention. Number two, give sacrificially. So Paul had kind of pointed towards the Galatian church, and now he, he directs the attention of the Corinthian church towards the Macedonians. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This is interesting. Paul is saying that the Macedonian churches, their ability to give is a grace given by God. God, would you give us a grace to be a generous people? That's a prayer that I want to pray. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. They gave sacrificially. In the midst of, of whatever capacity they had. Back at home in Canada, I was part of a, a little storefront church that met in a social enterprise cafe in one of the poorest neighborhoods of our city. And this cafe had this brilliant scheme, this brilliant plan. They had two jars full of buttons. And when you came into the cafe to get your coffee, you'd come up and you could buy your coffee, and then you could buy a button, or one button, or a hundred buttons, however many buttons you wanted to buy. And, and so they would take buttons out of one jar, put it in the other, they were a dollar each. And then other people in the community could then come in, and if they didn't have money for breakfast, they didn't have enough money to buy themselves a coffee. They could use the buttons in that jar, jar, and they got five buttons a day. 
so that they could then buy themselves a breakfast. And it was beautiful, it was amazing, because this our neighborhood there was full of what they call single residence occupancies. So people who didn't have fridges, they didn't have kitchens, they just lived in a room, and so they would be lined up every morning at 7 a.m. at the cafe to come in and get their butts in breakfast. And it was wonderful. Do you know what was even more wonderful? At the beginning of the month, when they got their government check, they went and they bought buttons for other people in the community. And this became this beautiful mutuality of caring for one another. And uh, last I heard, they were, people were buying and giving 10,000 buttons a month in that community, very poor community loving each other, being generous towards one another. Gay gave sacrificially. Number three, Paul exhorts the Corinthian church to give sacrificially. The Corinthian church was like, they were on it right away. They're like, yes, I'm in. I'll give. This will be great for a little while. <laughs> How many of us will start when we think about giving and, and our hearts get stirred and, and we want to be generous and we start really strong. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm in. I want to give up myself and my time and my money. And then I get busy and life gets expensive. And, you know, so Paul's exhortation to the Corinthian church was, you know, you start it strong, but can you stay steady? Can you give consistently? Now finish the work, he says, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. And then finally, give hilariously. Give hilariously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, the Greek word is hilarious. For where we get the phrase or the word, hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. What if we were so unattached to money and, and had so little fear about financial insecurity that we're like, yeah, for sure, this is going to be great. I want to give it away and see what happens. Wouldn't that be amazing? We had a, a single mom friend of mine back at home who, um, she was just really broke. <laughs> you know, like using leftover newspaper instead of toilet paper kind of broke. Really, really broke. And uh, she loved the Lord, though, and she loved her local church, and she really wanted to, to give. And, and I remember her this one day, she's like, okay, I don't have any money, but I'm, oh, there's something in me. I just, I just want to give of what I have. So she went through her kitchen cupboards, and then she showed up at church with a big tub of margarine. And, uh, and, uh, and so this was back in the day when we actually had um, offering baskets going up and down. Remember offering baskets? going up and down the aisle. And so the offering basket came down the aisle and she opened up her purse and she plucked in the tub of margarine. Because <laughs> it's what she had. It's what she had. She's like, it's what I got, so I'm just going to give it. And then you kind of watched the tub of margarine <laughs> work its way up and down the aisle. She gave hilariously. And then Paul's got this last little bit that I love. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I heard this wonderful teaching years and years ago, which, which uh, um, the Lord frequently reminds me of, <laughs> challenges me on. 
God gives us two things with regards to finances. He gives us bread. Bread is for me. It's for my consumption. It's, it's for me to take and, and for myself. But he also gives seed. He gives me bread for eating. He gives me seed for sowing. What could happen if we all performed an experiment together, had this experiment? As soon as some money comes in your bank account, you ask the question, God, is this bread or is it seed? Is it bread or is it seed? And the good news is, and this is, you know what, the economy of, of the kingdom of God is so interesting. Because bread, you know, you eat it, it's gone. Seed, you sow it, and it multiplies. Seed is generative. If you sow it, he will grow it. If you sow it, he will grow it. I'm going to read the rest of this passage from 2 Corinthians 9, 10 to 15. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. We said that. And now I think in this next bit, he actually goes on to describe what that harvest of righteousness looks like. He says this, you will be enriched in every way so that you will be generous on every occasion. What that means is, this is the whole thing of stewardship. If God sees that you're going to sow seed and have been a good steward of what he's giving you, what do you think he's going to do? Probably give you more seed. Probably give you more seed. It's like, oh, I can trust that person with their resources. I can trust the generosity of, of the heart of that person. And I know that I can use that person as a conduit of grace and blessing into other people's lives as they are obedient and sacrificial for the sake of others. He will enlarge the harvest of our righteousness. He will enrich us in every way. In every way. And I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. That's not what it's about. It's enriched body, soul, spirit, relationally, vocationally. This abundant life that Jesus invites us into. He'll enrich us in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. So that we can give ourselves away. We can give our lives away. We can give our resources away on every occasion. And then that then results in thanksgiving to God. God is glorified. God is thanked. God is praised. We give ourselves away. Hmm. And then he goes on to say that it will supply the need of the Lord's people. I'm going to tell you one of my giving stories. And I know that by telling it, I'm losing my rewards. So that's okay. <laughs> I'll take one for the team. Again, back in the day when I was a single mom, I, uh, I was friends with other single moms, and I had one friend who was, had been taking care of her kids, and, and it was time for her to get back into the workforce. Problem was, she didn't have any clothes. And we didn't have the lighthouse over there with its amazing clothing closet, you know. And, uh, and I'm like, God, you know what? I love my friend. I really want to help her. I want to bless one of the Lord's people. And the Lord said, hey, Jill, you know your clothes? Remember how I like clothes? <laughs> and the Lord's invitation to me was, invite her into your closet to take whatever she wants. <gasps> to take whatever she wants. So I'm like, okay, Jesus, all right, I'll do it. And so I invited her in. I had her over, and she was like, anything? 
And I'm like, yes, take whatever you want. I had this little walk-in closet, so she went in, and she took all my favorite clothes, all my favorite things. I couldn't believe it. I was just like, just smile, Jill. Just smile. <laughs> Act friendly. <laughs> you know what? Lily looked way better on her. Way better on her. We get to care for the Lord's people. And then people see the integrity. Paul talks in this passage about our obedience that accompanies our confession. People out there are looking for a church that walks the walk. It doesn't just have a lot of words about God. What if our lifestyles are sacrificial, obedient to God? What if our lives are given away for the service of the other? How, what, what a message that is to a hurting world. And then finally, this, this, this whole mutuality that happens in the end of the passage. He talks about, you know, we, we're, we give our lives away. We're generous. And those who receive then their prayers for us, they pray for us and their hearts go out to us. When we give to one another, when we, we care for one another, when we watch one another's backs, when we're generous towards one another, this beautiful mutuality, this common unity, this community is born in our midst. So where is your treasure? It's, it's easy enough. I'm going to finish with this, just a little illustration, a little something that I'm going to do. When I'm preaching, you guys, just so you know, I'm 198% preaching to myself. <laughs> for the conversion of my own heart and my own life, and you all get to listen in. And so as I was preparing for this talk, I'm like, oh, Lord, I have to preach about generosity. Is there anything you want to say to me about that? Because my husband and I live quite simply, and, um, and we, we, you know, we have plans give. We have a plan, a prayerful plan for our giving, but I'm like, oh, I think there's an invitation to something a little more, something a little sacrificial, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I get comfortable in my level of giving, and my level of lifestyle, I'm like, okay, I'm okay, I'm all right, this is okay. And, um, and I felt just as I was preparing this, the Lord wanted to touch something in my own life and heart. And so I'm like, okay, God, is there a way you want me to give sacrificially? And the Lord said, um, you know how you like Starbucks lattes? I'm like, yes, Lord. <laughs> you know, right? My grocery store has got a Starbucks attached to it, so it's kind of nice. You know, you go get yourself a nice latte, and you do your grocery shopping. And uh, I felt like the Lord's invitation to me was, um, so what if you, every time you planned to or wanted to treat yourself to that four-pound beverage, which mine is, what is it, decaf, soya, sugar-free, hazelnut, latte, Extra hot. I'm complicated. But um, <laughs> what if I set that money aside instead to go towards coffees for Ukrainian refugees or, or whatever? And, and it kind of hurt. It hurt a little bit. That was my point of pain. I do love my latte. What a, what a privileged person I am. Terrible, right? It's like my point of pain is a latte. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but that's the invitation. That's the invitation. How can, how can I, how can we, how can we just walk in the way of generosity, being obedient to the Father? How can we live sacrificially with our love for Jesus, but really wanting to give ourselves away and our lives away for the sake of others? Father, we just ask that you would release to us a grace of generosity. Grace of generosity.
Lord, we know you've given us a measure, but Lord, we want more. May we be a people who follow the way of Jesus. We'll set aside our privilege, take the low way, so that the glory of God can be revealed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jill. Let's show our appreciation, shall we?